0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Boll. Today we're going to talk all about play with Mark Collard. Play is not an activity itself, but a state of mind. I learned this today from my guest Mark Collard, the founder and director of Playmio, an organization dedicated to enhancing how humans connect with each other. As we see many schools beginning to understand and incorporate social-emotional learning in their program, Mark's emphasis on fun and play as a way to increase connections within classrooms and psychological safety is very timely. Mark helps us understand the why behind more play, the research to back it up, and how we can use it as educators. These quotes from our talk summed it up well for me. Connect first before delivering content, and fun as a magnet for participation. Enjoy the conversation. Mark Collard, thanks very much for joining me on the program today.
1: Uh, My pleasure, Mike. It's great to be here.
0: Well, of course, it's always nice to talk about play and fun and all those kinds of things. So we'll have a, a playful, fun conversation, I'm sure. And I wanted to start asking you about fun. And do we need to make, it's almost like an oxymoron, but do we need to take fun more seriously?
1: Look, the quick answer is yes. And you're right, it is a bit of an oxymoron or a misnomer of terms. Uh, In fact, one of the books I wrote was called Serious Fun. But it was about taking fun more seriously because in my experience, and, and for most of the time it's been anecdotal, but now it's been backed up with a great deal of research and science in recent years, that there's extraordinary value in integrating play or fun into programs or curricula, and, and most of your audience are teachers. So we're we're talking particularly in an educative setting, because it's such a massive magnet for attracting people's participation. You know, for me, when I work with teachers, and they're one of my biggest client bases, they often ask the question, "How do I engage my students?" You know, if you could just teach me how to engage my students, you know, everything would be so much easier. Um, and, and the simple answer for me is, well, is it fun? And I don't mean that they have to be sitting there holding their sides together with side-splitting laughter. That it needs to be something that's going to nourish their soul. Is it something that's going to be attractive, that that would immediately engage them? Uh, And there are several principles involved with that. But that's what I mean about taking fun more seriously, because societally, we often view play or fun as uh, childish, wasteful or Mm -hmm. unproductive. Um, and again, my experience shows that when those elements are integrated into a program, it actually uh, helps relationships build and um, helps people feel more comfortable and they're more willing to step outside their comfort zone um, to to not the scientific term, but to step into their stretch zone, which of course mm-hmm. is where all education exists. So uh, my argument is, yes, we do need to take it more seriously because it can be a really powerful way to engage our students, to invite them to participate more fully. Um, And, you know, the other benefit from a longer-term perspective is that it's building life skills for success outside of school.
0: So you you talk about fun, and if I was to go up to, or you were to go up to a teacher and say, hey, you need to have more fun in class, they might be a little resistant. But if you Mm. were to talk about something that I know you care about, which is the human connections that result is because of interaction it's such as fun. let's talk a little bit more about that that yeah. I think that might be a good selling point as you can imagine for teachers mm-hmm. or others that are looking to connect people and improve their learning opportunities.
1: Yeah and, and, and again Michael the the experience I've had anecdotally for many many groups I've worked with but is now backed up by the research shows that the stronger the connections you are you have within your group, uh, the more you can amplify the results of whatever you're trying to get done. Okay. Indeed, uh, at, at a meta analysis, um, the most successful programs in the world, and I, and I include schools as part of that term, programs, the most successful programs of the world are those which intentionally develop trusting and healthy relationships from the start. Um, and yeah. you know, there are just so many examples I could refer to, but where time has been spent, often at the beginning, ideally at the beginning, to help students connect with one another, build those relationships. It creates an environment, and because environment does dictate performance, it creates an environment in which the students are more willing to give something a go, to put their hand up and perhaps um, chance, you know, getting it wrong or failing. Uh, All of those really necessary ingredients for educational learning to occur.
0: Okay, so maybe the why then, like why is fun, powerful, and connecting people? Is there the pathological reason? I think about endorphins and and things like Mm. that, or it creates a safety zone where I'm comfortable sharing who I am, or maybe it's a combination of all of those.
1: I I think there's a number of levels. So certainly psychologically, uh, Dr. William Glasser, a psychologist, has identified four basic human needs, and one of them is belonging. Uh, Not about fitting in, but belonging. Mm that is being accepted for who you are. And so when we appreciate that, when we're building connections in our classroom, this is helping kids not just fit in, but actually feel that they're valued for who they are um, and because of all the different strengths and abilities that they bring. So uh, fun is disarming. So when fun is used as the vehicle to invite students to engage with one another, um, then we discover more about who we are and who we are in relationship to others. Uh, it's that, what's that Chinese proverb, you learn more about a person in an hour of conversation than you do in a in a year of, uh, you know, a, a year of whatever. No, sorry, in an hour of play, sorry, in um, an hour of play than you do in a year of conversation. Um, and, and I think it's so true because it's disarming. It's, it's impossible to pretend when you're actually truly playing. Now, I don't mean like my six-year-old pretending to be you know, Superman, mm-hmm. uh, that's very different. I'm talking about the pre- the pretense of an adolescent trying to be something that they're not. Uh, and they are often the most difficult groups to work with, those that are trying to be something that they're not. Uh, the, the play I'm referring to is, you know, that flow, if we want to use the scientific term, mm-hmm. flow, where you, you want it to continue, volunteer yourself to be a part of it, not really aware of what's going on around you. Um, it's purposeless. So you're doing it just purely for the moment and for the satisfaction that you're gaining in those moments. That's the fun that I'm referring to. And and when I am talking with teachers and we get that little bit of resistance of, oh yeah, but it's it's unproductive, it's it's childish. I share more about what it is that I'm referring to. In fact, the right. the book Serious Fun, you know, is called Serious Fun because uh, I really wanted to call it Serious Flow. But they would have thought it was a plump. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. Serious serious effluent. I needed needed to give it a hook. You know, fun, that was the starting point, and then describe actually what I'm referring to. So it is contagious. It's really hard to look cool when everyone else is having a fun time. They're all the elements that help make fun um, seriously useful in whatever programs you're working with.
0: All right. So I understand now what it is. I got a good sense of the why to do it. So you've, I'm sold. I believe in it. Now as a teacher myself, I'm like, okay, how do I do it? And I know you guys have a lot of practical resources that would help me as an instructor to use fun and play in the classroom. So what would I do next? What would you suggest? Let's say I was a beginner
1: to the idea. There, there are many, many forms of media, Michael, that would be useful. I'll speak to my expertise, which is the the leadership and delivery of group games and activities, not only have I found them to be really powerful, but they're also really attractive ways to help people or students connect Mm -hmm. uh, because they are very obviously fun. They're engaging. People want to lean in and actually be a part of them. So opportunities for play. And, and they can be brief. They don't have to fill your whole 45-minute lesson. They can be brief. I know of many teachers who find extraordinary value in just simply inviting the first five or seven minutes of their class, inviting their students to play, um, helping them connect, help them laugh, maybe, you know, leave behind whatever happened in the, the subject directly before them. And it makes the next 40 or 38 minutes of their class more productive because of the time they spend in that space. So. Uh, That has been really powerful in the use of games and activities. But it could be uh, a conversation. It could be a story that you're telling. It could be a video that you're also using. All of them can invite people into a space called play. Because I know that when I do invite my groups into this thing called play, and uh, let me just step to the side for a second. Sure. Play is not an activity. This is probably something I should have mentioned early on. Play is not an activity. Scientifically speaking, it is a state of mind. Huh. And when I introduce people into that space, I know that transformation is possible. So that's the other thing that people get tripped up on. You know, you, you, you talk about play and they go, oh, yeah, it's just childish. But no, right. there is no such thing as play. There is, there is no game. It is actually a state of mind.
0: Is there a big difference, do you find, when working with students uh, versus adults? I know for me, students, if you say, hey, let's play or I have a game, they're like, right on, where adults might be a little more
1: resistant. Yeah, there's generally no difference between the two, but for the initial reaction. Uh, Adults adults typically are far more crafty in covering up their discomfort or the fact that they might be outside of their comfort Mm. zone. It'll it'll be it'll manifest itself in ways such as oh look do you mind if I just take a quick phone call or uh, I just got to go to the bathroom or I'm nursing? I'm important, and, yeah, yeah. and like nothing's actually happened in the program yet. Where kids, they'll be a lot more upfront. They'll just say oh this is great or this sucks. Uh, I'd, I'd much <laughs> rather work, work with a group of kids because what I see is what I normally get. Where adults have learned uh, behaviours which mask pre- the, that that pretense. Where again, it's like, well, who are you? Like, what am I actually really dealing with here? So,
0: Mark, I'm curious, how did you get involved in this? Um, I assume you didn't get a, a, a PhD in play or something. You must have evolved <laughs> at some point to, to doing this because you're no, quite that, active that, in it, obviously prolific. Even like, that's, yeah, what got you going into this whole field?
1: So as a career, I've made a career out of this for the last 30 years, and I'm grateful for the scientists and researchers out there because that's not my work. I do not have a a doctorate in this this space. I may be an artist in the use of group games and activities. But uh, if I think back far enough, um, it would have been those initial experiences at school, at school camp, at my youth group, uh, where we were invited to use a whole series of these group games and activities that mm-hmm. I enjoyed. I never saw that as, oh, yeah, I want to do that when I grow up. Absolutely not. I was qualified in business. I have a Bachelor of Business. I have an MBA, worked as a management consultant for a few years. And those are, those, all tip- all those are all
0: typical prerequisites for
1: what you're doing, right? Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, particularly from a point of view that, you know, while I do that work, I also run a business. So That's it's important to understand how to do it properly. But No, throughout all of that time, I was very busy uh, working as a youth leader, running camps. Uh, I spent eight summers in the United States running summer camps over there in a very intensive environment. And then, long story short, uh, I worked as a management consultant for a couple of years before I lost my job. Uh, The whole business went bust within Mm, a few months. mm -hmm. And uh, that was a pivotal point. It was a pivotal point where... I went, I could have just jumped back into another job and got highly paid and continued to wear a tie tie and collar, or I could do what really lit me up, what I really had a passion for. And so I then worked for a group called Project Adventure, who were looking to set up business in Australia. Mm -hmm. I was in the right place at the right time, did that for 10 years. And then for the almost 20 years since then, uh, I've been freelance. Uh, I've been doing this uh, on my own. So uh, no, it was no career path as such. It wasn't linear. But, yeah, it happened to be in the right place at the right time, uh, I, I believe.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it obviously worked out well for you. I mean you have so oh, many, yeah. many ideas available. Uh, how do you come up with these ideas? Are you just drinking coffee, staying up all night long, uh, writing down <laughs> everything that comes to your head?
1: Yeah. Um, I, that's one of the um, one of the thoughts that people often have is sure. like, wow, I just love your stuff, <laughs> and I stop them right there and I go. First of all, most of this stuff, ninety nine percent of it, is not mine. I've uh, created yeah. a platform through Flameo to be able to share this because my mentor Carl Ronke, who was the founder of Project Adventure, a prolific author in this space of experiential ed and adventure education, had said to me uh, in my initial internship, Mark. A good idea doesn't care who it belongs to, and that's really driven me, you know, through all of the stuff that I share freely, as much as through the premium content that I offer through my activity database. So, honestly, Mike, if I had more than uh, more more than ten activities that I've actually come up with, then I'll go. Hey, most of it is stuff that uh, I've come across and have created my own expression of. Um, through through the database and give credit accordingly to those authors, those facilitators where I pick this stuff up. Indeed, now I mean, we have five and a half thousand subscribers around the world. Oh. We now have subscribers uploading their own activities, you know, stuff oh, nice. that they've discovered sure. and want to upload it as well, which is great for me because I'm always looking for new ideas because people view me as so. What's new? <laughs> they come to me looking for the new stuff. So. Uh, this has been wonderful for me to have subscribers and other users upload their ideas, too. So the reality is very little of this is mine, Mike.
0: Okay, I got you. Well, but it sounds like you it's the platform itself that was that you've been able to build it to leverage the ideas of other people.
1: Oh, absolutely. And look, you know, we all have our own take and expression of certain activities. And yes, that expression would be mine, but the initial idea, the kernel of it, doesn't care who it belongs to. So
0: today we talked a lot about fun and play, and I when you market this idea or this mission or this belief, whatever, you, however you want to call it, mm. is it is it should you not use the word fun and play and use human connectedness instead because that's ultimately what it is? Does fun and play using yeah. those words take away from it, or is it actually? And at least for me, it's like oh, this is a lot more interesting when he talks about fun and play.
1: Yeah, look, I think they're all connected. Not that they're necessarily interchangeable, Mike, but um, there's a mantra that I've used for a long time uh, called connection before content, to connect before content. So I'm not being rude to you or your listeners, but I actually don't care what your content is. But if you are responsible for the well-being of a group, connect first before delivering content. And, you know, I have many examples of people who have found great value in Uh, identifying that as the source of their success. Um, I've just come out of a a PE conference a few days ago where a PE teacher had stopped me and said, Mark, thank you so much. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, thinking there was a few activities that they really enjoy. But no, they were talking about this connection up front that they've been given permission in their school over many years now, built Mm -hmm. up to solid three or four weeks at the beginning of their year. So for in Australia, in the Southern Hemisphere, that's sort of January, February. Mm -hmm. They do no ticking of boxes. It's purely inviting their students to connect, building those relationships. And yes, they give up that time. And I'm not a teacher, but I appreciate that the curriculum is crammed no matter where you are in the world. But what they have found is that it it pays huge dividends later into the year because they have to deal with a lot less issues around behavior and management of the group. And indeed, because the group is so more heavily connected and support one another, they're more willing to give things a go and they actually achieve more. And so academically, it's also been a really powerful tool for them. So uh, connect before content uh, has been a really powerful way. And as I say, there's lots of media to help groups connect. I just happen to prefer group games and activities because they're really attractive. You know, they're a wonderful way to to engage people right from the start.
0: Sure, absolutely. And there's been a lot of more emphasis nowadays on social emotional learning, even in the international schools, which tend to be very Uh academically driven. They're starting to understand that what you're talking about has such a positive long-term impact on students. What i yeah, absolutely. Well, I was wondering, like you mentioned a PE teacher, like who contacts you? What in, in the teacher world, who tends to contact you saying, Hey, I'm interested in what you're talking about and I want to use it in my classroom? Is it mostly PE teachers or do you see it breaking out from that group?
1: Oh no, mostly classroom teachers, to be honest. So certainly there's oh. a a large cohort of PE teachers. Um, But our niche, our specific niche, which honestly makes up 5 or 10% of our our actual market uh, or our subscribers are experiential educators who work in large, independent and international schools in the major centres of the world. Right there is our target market. Everything we create, every book I write, every activity we produce is to satisfy the needs of those experiential educators in those settings. But the reality is... Uh, there's a whole lot of other, mostly classroom teachers, who look in at what's happening in this small space and go, hey, can you do that for us? So more than 60% of our clients are teachers. Um, And then you've got camp leaders. You've got corporate trainers as a really big part of our market as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if I look at some of the really, really, really small niches, you've got groups like um, uh, environmental educators. You've got uh, prison wardens. Uh, you've got folks who are lifesavers, surf leaders, uh, or surf um, instructors. So, in all cases, they're responsible for the well being of a group and are discovering strategies through the use of these games and activities that help them engage the groups they're working with.
0: Now, Mark, we're coming towards the end of our time here, and I always enjoy the future-oriented question. And what you just talked about made me think of one. It, you know, if we were to look 10 years in the future, you talked about how 60% of uh, your client base, so to speak, or your interest level comes from teachers, and then there's the other groups from there. Mm. Is Where do you think that growth is going to be over the next 10 years? What groups? Is it going to be prison wardens, for example, that you're going to see the most interest in what you guys are talking about?
1: I still believe it'll be uh, driven from educational educational circles Mike you know it'll be the teachers it'll be the school administrators um, and, I, and I think in, in, in more terms now it'll be also led by the science that for me has been the most exciting developments in the last five to ten years is oh, the, sure, yeah. the science coming out and, and saying hey this stuff works but science at a level that will actually be able to assess things like collaboration confidence trust these are things right now are very difficult to quantify I truly believe that the science will make it possible for us to be able to understand and measure how well uh, has trust or confidence or leadership or cooperation and all of those other intangibles they will be able to be measured from the beginning of a school year to the end of a school year and and those things are truly what sets up a young person for success in life. Uh, rather than how good they are at algebra and science and language. You know, they're all the core is still necessary, but it's actually not what sets them up for success in life.
0: Mark Collar, thanks so much for joining us on the program today.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much, Mark.
0: This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21 clradiocom